You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Roland had come out with this new keyboard uh, a digital keyboard about 15 years ago revolutionized all digital pianos. Uh, they brought one to us on 48th Street and they put it in our front window. And it wasn't supposed to be played, it's just to look at. Stevie Wonder found out we had one and he came in and the next thing we know he's in the front window playing. <laughs> oh my God. And 48th Street shut down. I mean, it was just because it was slightly up. It was about three feet higher. And there's Stevie Wonder. And it was loud enough you could hear it through the glass. And he's there playing this keyboard, obviously not knowing that there's a crowd out there. Uh, you know, th- there's all these kind of weird things like uh, this. Um, uh, Drew Carey was in our Hollywood store and uh he was buying something. I don't remember exactly what he was buying, but there was a kid and his mother behind him and they were buying a drum set. And apparently he, he really liked the kid or the kid was a nice guy or the mother was struggling with the money. I don't remember exactly what, but he gave his credit card to the cashier. He goes, run this. And when I leave, give it to them. You know, he just bought these people he didn't know a drum set. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Take Two. I'm Benny Goodman. I'm here with my friends, Corey and Siobhan. And this week we have a mogul in the music retail industry, Sammy Ash of Sam Ash Music. The reason that, again, my fiance laments that I can't add another bathroom onto my house because of all those Les Pauls. But uh, what a cool dude. What yeah, a cool dude. He's clearly such a lover of all things guitar and all of the mechanics and stuff that goes behind. And I could see that you two were kind of kindred spirits here. Just a lot of nerding out about so many different things and talking more about the business for anyone that didn't listen to part one, part two, we get even deeper in a lot of the things that go on there. Yeah. And also just going, kind of going through his, uh, or at least a sampling of his collection of guitars. So obviously if you're listening to this and not watching on YouTube, you may want to kind of check the YouTube version out because it's a very visual episode and we get to see a lot of cool instruments and hear a lot of the stories behind them. He's the only crazy person as passionate enough as I am to run off camera like 37 times during an episode to be like, wait, I got something else. He just pulls oh, yeah. out another awesome guitar. So like, if you like guitars or you just like music or you're just listening to this, go on to the YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. So check it so, out. Part two right here. Sammy Ash. Subscribe. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, as always, with Siobhan and Ben. And we are just off, just thrilled once again to bring back Sammy Ash of Sam Ash Music Stores. He's a COO, family business. The store's been around for 98 years, and Sammy is the man who's been regaling us with stories for the last episode, part one. Be sure to go back and check it out. We were all just talking about sharing the passion for guitars and instruments and all the stories, so we're really excited to dive back in and continue on. You, you stocked up a few uh, fun things for us in the back of the screen, so everyone needs to make sure to watch the YouTube cast as well see the visuals that are going on here yeah so i'm curious what 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 would make the ceo coo i keep saying ceo coo of sammy of sam ash so similar names sammy sam that guy what would make you want to flex on our show what's so good that you need to pull out a guitar not be off camera i need to know lay it on us okay uh Where to Show begin? and tell time with Sammy Ash, ladies and gentlemen. Number one. Okay. Um, it's I, headless. I, I've known Ned Steinberger a long time um, to the point where I can comfortably say that we're, we're friends. Uh, I had the unique opportunity one time to go up to his home and hang out with him. And he brought me into the, the mad scientist room. 
And he was working on developing the M series at the time, which was the one with the, fir the first guitar with a full body and all. And he was experimenting and all of that. It was a nice day. Uh, and then I forget how long after it was, I get this thing in the mail. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> this is the prototype. Holy crap. The, it's handmade by by uh, Ned. You know, he put a, took a, ne a neck, but the electronics are very different. And he explained to me, which I still can't figure out how to do, if you push this in, you could pop out the pickup. I'm afraid to do it. <laughs> That's amazing. It came amazing. with a lovely letter, um, which, uh, to, you know, it's one of my more treasured pieces because of how personal it is. Uh, well, and it's like pretty much the first headless guitar like it's like that ever. So Well, no it's unique. Deal. It's a one of a kind. And I can honestly say Ned made it by hand. It's literally a handmade uh, instrument. Uh, other fun stuff. Uh, yeah, I was a, I was a Valley Arts dealer. Um, it was, it's a kind of cool company at the time. This is when they were still California. And uh, you remember Larry Carlton had uh, been shot. It shocked everybody, freaked everyone out. That the nicest guy in the guitar world gets shot in his front porch. Well... Um, I had gotten word that he was going to do his first performance at the Blue Note in Manhattan. Uh, so I reached out to Valley Arts and I asked my friend Mike McGuire. Uh, and he sent me the body. This is a Larry Carlton model. See, that's another thing. All my oh signature guitars, signed guitars, have to be to the instrument it is. My Clapton is signed by Clapton, my Beck by Beck, so on and so forth. It's not back on a squire back on a, you know it's it's got to work that way so this is a larry carlton um and when he came back they gave me the body not lacquered but painted and prepped and i asked him if he would sign it for me and he did it says sammy i'm back larry carlton that's oh from his God. first gig back wow so that's crazy that was kind of cool that you know, I got for those that don't know, famous guitar player played with Steely Dan for a bit, Joni Mitchell, right? Or did he? Some, a some of Steely Dan's greatest riffs. I mean, he he's an absolute uh, scientist on the guitar. So, I mean, just the fact I said Steely Dan for anyone that's a music nerd yeah. should go, oh, I can't play that. <laughs> it, it's wonderful stuff. Uh, yeah. Ugh, this thing's wasting time. Wow. Oh, is that the Corvette one or whatever? This is the 57 Chevy, but yeah. it's the prototype. Once again, it looks heavy, right? Oh, it's a ton. It's a beast. There's a, there's a chunk of metal. Okay. Metal loaded. It was a kind of idea. They, ah, it was terrible. Anyway, does it resonate? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it actually does. And if there was a battery in it, when you press the tremolo, the back light goes on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where is it? Oh, yeah. I've got to put it in, but that flashes up. It's kind of cool. Very, very ZZ top. Uh huh. Kinda, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Although, actually, cool if, you, if you meet Billy Gibbons, he'll tell you that all of his guitars are hollow and weigh like four pounds now. So he would never play anything that had any metal in it. Oh, he yeah. plays like all he showed me his SG and it weighs like three pounds. It's all I think is it Mike Bolin or something. And he just like it's all hollowed out because he, yeah. he plays sevens on it, too. Like a crazy person who plays sevens. I don't know, but he plays it better than I can ever think about. it. <laughs> you I've and me both. The, good, sir. <laughs> I've had the, the, the chance to meet him, and he was just a really, really nice guy. I mean, if I didn't know he was Billy Gibbons, I would say, wow, he's just a really nice guy. Um, so um, let me see. I talked about number fours. Number fours. I, I, I'm not mobile to take you into the warehouse where the ovations are, but once again, um, this is a Nomac. You ever see a Nomac? Well, I've Is never seen anything kind of like that man ever. Kind of thing? It's a Music Man Nomac. They're only 24 in existence. It's and it looks like John. the pickups are oh, engraved it's a John or Petrucci kind of yes. thing, right? Yes. Uh, but, you know, the, the people, my friends at Music Man, 
selected cool. this one for me because they knew my my story, my history on it. But um, I have never seen one available for sale. They all came in to all the dealers pre-sold. Most people never actually saw one. I was fortunate that they picked this one out for me. It happens to be an amazing guitar, but it's uh, I don't like to play it. <laughs> it looks very cool. Yeah, oh, it's, it's very ornate. Cool. It's an amazing guitar in itself, right? But uh, you know, they they had a retail when they came out at ten grand. Uh, I can't imagine. You know, this is an instrument that there's twenty four in existence, twenty two available that were available for sale. You know, I, I got. Uh, you see, that's the thing about me and guitars. I, the guitar needs to speak to me. It's I, I get to go guitars three ways: as a gift, as a run, or because it speaks to me. Most of my instruments are acquired because something about them drew me to it, to play with it, or, or whatever it might have been. The way it felt, the way it sounded, the way I saw it on on a on a hook, perhaps. But a majority of my guitars have some kind of a story as to how I got them, which is why I'm a collector. I, I am not a trader. Sam Ash Music, I have my fun buying and selling guitars literally all day long. With my collection, uh, during a not fun time in my life, I sold a few instruments and immediately upon selling them, I, I, went, I was remorseful. So I've never done that again. Um, you know, I know that time, feeling. Yeah, next time I'll beg, borrow, and steal before I have to sell a guitar. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't need to now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the guitar... See, I'm not a real amp guy. Uh, you know, I, I have the sounds. I have my Marshall. I have my Vox. I have my Supro. I, I just got a, a Line... Not a Line 6. A, uh, a St. James Blackstar with the 6L6s awesome amplifier and for an old guy like me it weighs nothing which is cool for an all tube amp uh so i've well, got the sounds well know, that's I've interesting got- that you say that though because i mean kemper i on my neurotic guitarist had posted me as the video of the decade because i have a whole wall of amps i have about I 25 steps 25 steps yeah they're great sounding but one day Corey, that guy came over to my house and he was like hey dude try this thing and we plugged it into a Michael Britt patch, like a 5150 patch. And I remember like doing an AB. So I have like a Mesa boogie cab with like, you know, three microphones, a 414, a 57, like, all this stuff into my 5150. Sounds badass. Nothing I could do made it sound better than just plugging it in like a keyboard into my Kemper. Yeah. And that's when I realized that, like, for me, it's the instrument. Because for me, the instrument is what holds the songs. I kind of had the same concept of you, but, like, the way I look at it, how many songs are in the instrument? Like, when I pick it up, does it talk to me? Does it go, oh, you should play me for a long time? Because there's guitars I played that don't necessarily sound as good as other ones. But I'm like, I can't stop playing it. And I wrote this thing on it. So I kind of, I love the, the concept that you, you let the guitar almost pick you. It's, you, it's you, important to me. It's It's a... It has to, it's got to be something. I, I don't just buy it because, oh, that'll be worth a fortune someday. Um, I, I buy it because, and, and maybe it will be worth a fortune, but that's not the reason I initially purchased it. And yes, I do have to buy my guitars from the company. All right. What stories do you have of like nightmares of, of passing on guitars? Because I can tell you that there's times, like, for example, I picked up a Dan Armstrong when I was like 14 or 15, one of those Lucite guitars. And we were selling for $180 at our store. And at everything, it was minty. And my, my boss like, all oh, those things sound like shit. And... He had 180 bucks. And I was like, but it looks kind of cool. He's like, you really want to play a shit guitar? Now those things are five grand. Joe Perry's playing it for Dream On. Like, what's that story for you? Because I can only surmise that you must have seen so many things that you go, I could have had a different day. When I was young, uh, Rickenbacker did not have the popularity it has now. And they had a guitar called the uh, Light Organ guitar, which is you play it in various lights on the inside. It was it was a showpiece for a show band. Nobody wanted it. Nobody. We dropped the price, dropped the price, dropped the price. 
My father finally brought it down to 450 bucks. Somebody offered him 300 bucks. He took it. They're now $12,000. Crazy. When I tell my father some of the values, like, you know, the fact that we blew out a 1960 Les Paul custom. I mean, things like that. When I tell him what these things are going for, he just doesn't understand it. He can't get over the Sam Asher fuzz box is a thousand bucks. We close those things out at twenty nine ninety five. I mean, there's so many different things like that. But the but the light organ probably was the one that when I see one, I think about uh, what could have been. Well, what changed that suddenly made it valuable? I'm curious about that. Like what rarity, what? Mm-hmm. rarity. Um, very very few were ever made. Uh, <clears throat> And they made them, and then they stopped making them. And like I said, originally it was considered a terrible instrument. And then somebody, and like a lot of values now, it went up and up and up, but because it's one of the rarest Rickenbackers, it's getting some of the highest numbers. Mm-hmm. They're cool. Yeah. Let me ask you, what it was coming back to the company a bit, what is it like choosing the merchandise or, or the merchandising process for different stores? Because it seems like such a large-scale operation. I don't even know how to conceptualize it in my brain. How do you go about now deciding what to, what to put in stores or which stores? or uh, What's the strategy behind there in a nutshell? Well, I'm not, I'm not in the buying. I'm not in the purchasing department okay. anymore, but I do know how this thing works. Approximately 85% of or 80 percent of everything is the same in all savage music stores it's the bass it's the black les paul the sunburst stratocaster so on and so forth the bach trumpet the dw kit everybody's got that but we like you said we're we are very regional certain stores will have an awful lot of accordions i can't believe how many accordions we sell uh certain <laughs> stores won't have just- any because they don't sell. Uh, Bajo Sexto, the big Mexican guitars. with the, uh-huh. Okay, We don't carry them in all stores, but the stores we do carry them are very successful with them because they're in San Antonio, parts of Florida, and, and where, the, where that population is. And we have them online, so if we don't have them in a store, I can have it there tomorrow. All right, explain but, this to me. Because I, 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 my friend, he's been in the music, uh, he, he has a retail store, he said that in the last three years, he sold more ukuleles than he has in the last 35 years. Could you explain why the ukulele all of a sudden, like everybody has a ukulele. And did you have like a meeting where people walked in one day and said, we got to make a planogram for ukuleles? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, one day we you know, the high-end ukulele was like twenty nine ninety five. had, you know, screws for keys and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, this actually caught not just us, but I think everybody. One day, I, I remember we were looking at numbers and that we had sold in one December more ukuleles than we had sold in the decade. <laughs> That's how nuts it went. It slowed down since, but... Basically, you were right. Everyone wanted to have a ukulele. Uh, Jake Shimabakora was a big part of that. Certain songs coming out with, you know, uh, uh, Mraz, uh, I forget his first name. Jason oh, Mraz. Jason, Jason Mraz yeah. puts out a Don't hit. Don't you have a Billie ukulele. Eilish one, Corey? What was it? Which one do you have? Uh, I just you have a, like, it's like a Fender. Uh, I, I think, oh, maybe there, there's one I think that's similar to yours. I think Billie Eilish has one. It's, you know, so you have all these new artists like uh, well, who has their own. Ukulele. They made ukulele fun again. I mean, you can get them in Les Paul shapes, Stratocaster shapes. You can get them looking like a pineapple, uh, any kind of thing you might think. And not expensive. That was another thing. A good ukulele in the United States was 100 bucks. All the good ukuleles were in Hawaii. So people started making better ukuleles importing much better ukuleles and suddenly it was now a cradle to grave you want a 29.95 ukulele got it in stock you want a 400 ukulele we've got it in stock and we've got everything in between mm-hmm. so it was an industry that was always sleeping and then it woke up with a vengeance i never saw anything increase in popularity that fast in that short period of time 
I'd like to think that I'm a revolutionary because eight years ago, I had this electric baritone ukulele commissioned. <laughs> and I know for a fact it was Seems one like of the only- instrument. The, other than the guy <laughs> who made this, I believe this is the only other one in existence, at least at that time, because we could not verify that anyone else had an electric baritone ukulele. And now I it's a thing. So. But apparently, I also didn't know at the time that it's very similar to a tenor guitar, so I should have just had a tenor guitar made, but it's actually an electric baritone ukulele, so. Well, most tenors are acoustic, and not never was, you know, uh, all, the, all the folk bands, the folk uh, instrument players all had tenor guitars back in those days. It was the antithesis of electric. What you have is extremely cool because it is. Yeah, it's weird. So I, I guess now one of the things we had Steve Stevens on our show and he even remembered going in and getting his Kramer with the uh, with the whammy bar he used uh, on some of the most famous, famous Billy Idol songs as Sam Ash. He's you a must have, boy. Yeah. I mean, you could tell from a mile away. He's like, give me right. the bagels. You're like Steve Stevens. It must be him. Uh, what famous people? Now, this is me saying name drop, but can you give us some stories of some of the people that may have called you over the years or walked into the store and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, sure. Um, Roland had come out with this new keyboard, uh, a digital keyboard about 15 years ago, revolutionized all digital pianos. Uh, they brought one to us on 48th Street and they put it in our front window. And it wasn't supposed to be played. It's just to look at. Stevie Wonder found out we had one, and he came in, and the next thing we know, he's in the front window playing. <laughs> oh, my God. And 48th Street shut down. I mean, it was just because it was slightly up. It was about three feet higher, and there's Stevie Wonder, and it was loud enough you could hear it through the glass, and he's there playing this keyboard, obviously not knowing that there's a crowd out there. Uh, you know, th there's all these kind of weird things like uh, this um, – uh, Drew Carey was in our Hollywood store and uh, he was buying something. I don't remember exactly what he was buying, but there was a kid and his mother behind him and they were buying a drum set. And apparently he, they, he really liked the kid or the kid was a nice guy or the mother was struggling with the money. I don't remember exactly what, but he gave his credit card to the cashier. He goes, run this. And when I leave, give it to them. You know, he just bought these people he didn't know a drum set. I need yeah, to go little... behind Drew Carey and Lion a little bit more. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure when you I was would. behind uh, him at Dunkin' Donuts, he didn't buy me an extra coffee. Sure. Uh, here's one for you. Um, Antonio Banderas was in one of the stores paying something. He gave, I think it was a $100 or a $50 bill. So the so this cashier took it and started looking at it, you know. So they gave him the change. He took a dollar bill and he started doing the same thing. <laughs> you know, he was funny about it, but you know, a, a lot of odd stuff. Uh, we put together an order for Pete Townsend in, in the Manhattan store. And we were just expecting a runner to come and pick it up. And he showed up. I mean, just like that. And he goes, I need my gear. Here's my credit card. You know, these are the kind of things where people stutter. They all, uh, uh, I would, when I met Slash for the first time in my Hollywood store, I was, you know, it was gobsmacked. Slash, there in my store. Holy shiesty. Wait, you know? let's make sure we don't we don't conflate these. He doesn't mean Sully Erna from Godsmack. He means Slash from Guns N' Roses. I yes. said gobsmacked. That's oh. Well, I'm also deaf because I've been no, sitting God, next to a Marshall cab. Like in, uh... As in surprised. Yeah, yeah no, no, I, I get it now. Uh, <laughs> I just I'm been... older than you. I say things like gobsmacked, you know. <laughs> well, I'm also from Boston, so everyone knows a Sully, you know. There you go. Because that's Boston. You know Sully from Godsmack? He's from Boston. Yeah, Good totally. Man. Good Love man. that guy. Good man. <laughs> oh, my so, gosh. Um, I... I, I Recently, it's not recently past 10 years, I started getting into things like lap steels mm -hmm. uh, because they are so cool and inexpensive. You can get a really cool lap steel made by the same guy who made that Rickenbacker bass, made this thing, and it's just really cool. And you can pick them up for under a grand, under $1,500, but they're just because of the look 
And the well, vibe- it's amazing you say that because I have a Lloyd Lore L2. Um, and it, yeah, I think I paid $1,200 for it at Guitar Center. And if you were to buy a mandolin made in 1922 with Lloyd Lore's signature in it, like my L2, it would be worth a half a million to a million dollars. My L2 was only, I think, $1,250 or $1,300 on sale at Guitar Center. That's a, that's I don't normally patronize thing. that store because they're, but I do when they're stupid. Like that. I, I, I would buy it from Guitar Center. I'd have no problem with that. Well, I want, anytime <laughs> I buy something from Guitar Center, it's because somebody's screwed up. I, I, I hate to admit it, but I've actually made a purchase there. <laughs> well, well, I mean, listen, if you walk in and you see a, a, an amazing, like I walked in and I got myself a 1956 uh, reissue for $2,000. They had it like listed as a tribute or something. And it was like 1999. This was easily a five fifty five hundred dollars guitar or something like that. And I walk up there and I buy it. They bring out all the papers and stuff. And I'm like, do you guys really just not know? And one of the guys starts laughing. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, because this is like a five. Just give me the guitar. And I just walked out and I still have it. It's a beautiful gold top. Dong. Amazing. So, you know, Every once in a while, you can still find, if you know what you're looking for and you have an eye like you have, you can find those things. That's, a, cool. that's absolutely true. In fact, that's how people ask all the time how I got so many guitars. And it's literally because I never, ever, and this is my philosophy on buying guitars and collecting guitars, I don't wake up and go, I need a PRS Custom 24 or I need a Les Paul. I go online to Craigslist or to, to Reverb and I go, who wants to be screwed today? And I sometimes <laughs> will, look at it. And I go down the list and I'll go, is this price uh-huh. real? And then I'll start researching it. So I'll be like, okay, this seems insane. And then I'll go down the rabbit hole and I'll research something. And once I'm convinced, it's like at least 50% more than what I'm going to pay for it. I'll then try to screw them for even more. And that's the only way I've ever gotten guitars is guitars for at least 50% or less of the value. And it's all because I woke up that day and got lucky. <sighs> I was waiting for some massive speech about how you had integrity and you're just looking no, for a diamond in the rough, no. but of course no. not once again disappointed. No. No, listen, there's a guy that showed up at my house on Christmas. I think he was a crackhead and I feel bad, but he was a, an adult and he had a he had PRS number f- uh, 677, the custom 24 that I have. And I got it from him for $2,500. That's yeah, easily it, a ten to 15000 definitely stolen. It wasn't stolen. In fact, I, ha- I ran the whole thing and all that. I, no, I checked out all that. What he had done is he traded in his grandmother's ring for this guitar. So that's when I was like, oh, this guy's definitely crazy. Uh, but he brought it to my house, $2,500. I've looked it up. Nobody said it's stolen. I Believe me, I checked into it. That said, $2,500, I got a $10,000 guitar delivered to me. In fact, my favorite story ever is I had a guy from Craigslist come over. He had a Martin guitar, said 1911 Martin guitar wanted $1,500 with no picture. And I'm like, this guy either is an idiot or this is a scam. So I went down the rabbit hole. I'm like, okay, let's, what's up with this? Doesn't write back. And I'm like, right again. And he goes, oh, it's this guitar. Sends me a picture of this 021. I'm like, oh my God, that's beautiful. Beg him, come over, come over, come over. Doesn't write it. Writes back to me two weeks later. He goes, oh, this went to my girlfriend's trash. Clearly this guy's a winner. He goes, I need to buy her a ring. Do you want this guitar? And I'm like, I only have $1,100, dude. He goes, great. Comes down, shows me that this is his grandfather's guitar, opens this thing up. His girlfriend goes, oh my God, I finally get a ring. I had no idea the value of this guitar. My buddy who knew nothing about guitar saw the excitement on my face and said, Benny, I'll offer you $500 more than you paid for that. And I still said no. It was a 1912-021. It's probably worth twelve dollars to $15,000. And I found out from Martin the other day, it was shipped to Lowell, Massachusetts, December 23rd, 1912. So it was probably a Christmas gift to this guy's grandfather. And he just gave it to me for 1100 bucks. And I thank him for that. <laughs> and he, was, he thanked me too, because he got to buy his girlfriend a ring. That's the greatest part is when they thank you for giving you a $15,000 guitar for 1100 bucks. Well, everything has value of different amounts to different people, I suppose. Yeah. So and I, I genuinely didn't know how much it was worth. Matters. I had no idea how much it was worth. I just knew it was worth more than I was paying for it. That's cool. That's awesome. Story. That's awesome. <laughs> well, maybe coming back to talk about business more. This is obviously okay. my fascination. <laughs> but like, you I can was... use it, work in my used department anytime, Benny. You could be our buyer. <laughs> no, but it's incredible. I mean, from both of you, really. I mean, everybody here that, you know, it's, there's so much value in just 
caring about the instruments and and being fascinated by them. And I'm sure that plays into both of your businesses, you know, every day. But um, what I wanted to ask, we talked a lot about kind of the earlier side of building the business. How did things change, you know, when the internet came around or when people started to shop online a lot more? Um, I'm curious to hear what, what sort of changes went on there or, you know, even maybe we don't have to mention any names, but other retailers, how you set yourself apart from that. Like, how, how are you how did that change your business model or structure or did it? Uh, actually, it, it it did a lot in our used and vintage business. It actually helped it tremendously because people are starting to realize that that silver bent piece of metal in their their closet is a Bach 180 trumpet that they thought was a piece of garbage, but I'll give them $800, $900, for it. Mm-hmm. And people are starting to go on the internet realizing what they've got, that that guitar in the brown uh, messed up case in your grandfather's back of his closet, uh, maybe I should look at that a second time. Yeah. So the values are right now it's the most educated consumer I've ever dealt with. And we don't lowball. And today, if you lowball, it's super obvious. I mean, everyone says, how come you're offering me 10% of what everyone else is? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, that part of our business, the used and vintage is very important to us. Uh, we, we advertise it, we push it, it's approximately 10% of our business on purpose. I mean, we really, if I can go to 11 or 12%, that'd be great too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that customers love. It's a different, you know, everybody wants to get a Les Paul. Some people want to use Les Paul because they just can't swing the new one. So if they could save 500, 600, 700 bucks on a used one, that's in great shape. Why not? And that goes for all instruments. The internet has alerted everybody to what they own so we are beginning to see things where people come in and say uh this was my grandfather's but i i understand that these things can go for as high as four thousand dollars i go yes some of them can let's see what you got so um that was big and just the the ability to find more stuff not everybody lives in boston New York, L.A., Miami. Mm-hmm. A lot of people live in much smaller cities where the selection is, uh, I won't use the word nil, but way well, limited, less. Yeah. And suddenly this thing called the Internet says, you know, that thing you're interested, it's available in all these different places. It's available new. It's available used. It's available in red, blue, green. Did you know all these things? No, I didn't. So this world, like like anything, information is king got out and the early companies that embraced the internet really you know made out uh i'll give props to sweetwater i think they're a great company they embraced it very early uh you know i kind of think we do a pretty damn good job too but the, it, it was the game changer that that's the one place where business started to suddenly it grow and people started to take interest and these days, it's one of the reasons why rare and vintage guitars are going for so much money because they're no longer being exchanged by you know back door, back room mm-hmm. deals. Here's my guitar. It's I'm asking two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for it. Wow, that's kind of crazy. No, because this one they're asking two seventy five. So the information out there has really, I think, stirred up a lot of this. And the same thing goes if you don't have a a big dealer near you and you want to know about a synthesizer and the nuts and bolts of the synthesizer and your local guy can't tell you, your internet can. And it'll give you comparison to go by. So it it was a huge change for us. We went from being a majority, um, well, it was still majority uh, book, Brick and mortar. Brick and mortar. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We're still a majority of that, but our internet sales keep going up every single year because I just can't have everything I want in a store. It's just not possible. Sure. The amount of SKUs and things we carry in a warehouse, I have some really large stores. Still wouldn't be able to carry everything that I have online. So it's become, you know, a, a big 
a big benefit to the consumer more than anybody else. But for the retailer, it allows small guys to become big guys. You know, everybody, if your screen is is 12 by 17, you're as big as Sweetwater and Guitar Center and all, because everyone's screen is 12 by 17, and your product looks as good or as bad as you want it to be. So um, it, a lot of people got exploded. A lot of people exploded with the ability to get their name out there, to get the word out there. Catalogs became superfluous. Everybody went to the internet. Getting a catalog for anybody today is rare, but getting the information is still there. It's a daily update. So Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you, so uh, if you are, let's say, somebody that has a single music store, they are thinking about opening a music store, how do you know if it's the type of business that should stay as a single store, something smaller, or if it should grow into, because obviously that isn't necessarily the plan or the trajectory for every person that opens a music store. You know, there's got to be something that happens where you realize this has got to become a bigger thing. So uh, how do you know when that's the choice to make or whether to make that choice to, to grow into multiple? A lot has to do with you as a person in trust. You're now going to open another store. You're going to hand the keys to somebody else. Do you have that person that that within your organization that you could say here's the keys to my half of my life, and there are people like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm very fortunate that a majority of my managers and sales managers are really good, honest people who want to do it. You know, get paid for a good day's work, and put in a good day's work. And uh, it, it, we are very trusting people. We have to be. I have uh, about 52 buildings with musical instruments in them and 150 people with access. Mm -hmm. Trust goes a long way. Small dealer may not have that trust. I mean, one of the reasons that we were able to grow is we kept on having new blood come into the company. It started with one, then my father and uncle became two, and my brothers and I became three, and now we're Mm -hmm. at five. So there's a lot out there that we have, the resources, the personal resources. And the other thing is funding. I mean, don't open a music store on a shoestring. It's not that kind of business. Mm -hmm. You you really have to have, uh, got to have a lot of backbone. Mm -hmm. You I know people that opened up just before COVID. Nobody knew it was going to go. COVID nearly decimated this industry. It was very tough. People weren't getting gear. And if you opened up prior to COVID and you have to shut down and you don't have years of resources behind you, it makes survival tough. Mm -hmm. This is, it sounds kind of romantic, you know, in the musical instrument business and all that, but it's very tough. If I was going to go into this business, I would go in, um, as a specific dealer, a guitar dealer, a drum dealer, violin, saxophone, or brass and winds, I should say, and and keep to what you know. Mm-hmm. The nice thing is we had enough people who knew enough things right. that we were able to do good ideas this way as opposed to just going this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we it just a lot has to do with luck. No, I happen to have a brother that happens to be a brilliant attorney. He does all our leases. He does all our computer information. He does all our, uh, in, you know, all the back office stuff. I just happen to be lucky. I have a brother like that. I happen to be lucky. I have a brother that uh, is interested in the business aspect and the purchasing and the sales and all of that and the marketing of the company. We are lucky that I'm the brother that went and expanded this company that went out and spent a thousand nights in hotel rooms. I'm lucky that I have three nephews and two sons, all with different abilities to bring maybe this company to the next level. I have people that have been working with me. This guy, Howie, who's the, who shares that office has been with us 47 years. Barry, who shares that office, Howie's head of personnel, Barry's the head of purchasing. He's been with us for 51 years. I know, and it may sound like we're old, 
We're not. Uh, the one thing about this business, it does keep you young. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I have people who are 70 years old that you would swear were in their 50s mm-hmm. because of the attitude. They, you know, we still, like I said earlier, we still gawk at product. Gear makes us giddy. New things make us, you know, if somebody comes out with a better guitar strap, I want to know about it because I, I, I like guitar straps. Well, let me ask you that from there because, uh, you know, you said Paul Reese Smith wandered into your store in like 84 or whatever and brought a guitar. And now, you know, you became a Paul Reed Smith dealer. He's huge, ubiquitous. How often does someone go like, hey, I, I do Jersey Girl guitars, which great company, small little itty bitty company. You know, how does one get into Sam Ash? Are you guys still going, oh, there's new guys out there doing cool new things? Or it's like, there's you have to have an established base. And we are you still taking lines. chances? We add lines all the time. There's a lot of new and cool manufacturers out there, uh, some who already sell direct, uh, but some who deal through dealers or have a very small dealer base. But when I say we get giddy, we get giddy about new lines as well. My son, Ben, is, is an effects geek, and he's introducing us to new effects brands all the time. I am, you know, I'm an old school guitar guy. I'm looking for instruments from the past that could benefit the company. Everybody here, all you know, my, you know, it may sound silly, but my guitar buyer is a guitar player. My drum buyer is a drummer. My keyboard play- buyer is a keyboard player. And, you know, it may sound very natural to a lot of people, but apparently in this industry, it's not. And, to have people who share the passion when they're buying. Uh, very often we say to ourselves, would I buy that? Is that value? Is that cool? Does, you know, does it work? There's an awful lot of stuff we don't buy. Uh, maybe we make a mistake, but as musicians, we say to ourselves, you know what? This thing is dead in the water. Maybe we'll try two or three, but we're sure not going to get behind something. Mm-hmm. So, being being a little bit different, I think, you know, makes us better. Also, we're not looking for world domination. I love the cities I'm in. Love to be in more cities, and one day we will. But I'm not looking to go public and sell half of what we have to to strangers. It's a family business. It's worked well. And, you know, we happen to be lucky that we love what we do and we like the people we do it with. So it seems to me like you're the perfect example of why people should have children, because maybe for generations (laughs) you can build something and that you'll know they're genetically like you. So if you're good at that, there's a good chance that they probably have those traits. I feel like everybody. I feel like everyone I know that has like parents that are successful are like, I'm not going to do that. Why would I I take over my dad's billion dollar car industry? Oh, that's a true story. That was me. (laughs) That was me. When I was a teenager, I didn't want to work for daddy. No kids wanted to work for daddy. No, some of my friends were parking cars, so I tried that. Some of my friends were pumping gas, so I tried that. And then I started working in the store uh, for some hours a week, and I had more money than all my friends. Just like that. I mean, I was I was making, I, I had, you know, my Are friends you would have five bucks. I'd have 35 bucks. And I, I, you know, so I was popular because I was the guy that had the weed and, you know, <laughs> I had a full tank of gas because I could. You know, so all of those other things, well, maybe working for daddy is not that bad. <laughs> so, I got to tell uh, you, it, it, it is a skill because I remember being 15, making $10 an hour. And back then that was that like- was money. That was really good money. That, yeah, I was that coming was home at that time. $400 under the table, may I add. And I, and I remember just thinking to myself, like, what else could I possibly do where I'd ever make this kind of money? And I get to smoke weed and play Gibsons all day. It was the craziest thing, you know, so I feel like and it does keep you young because all of my all of our friends that are in the music industry. Perfect example. We were Corey, myself and Siobhan were all together in Florida a week, a few weeks ago with our buddy Shannon Larkin. And we're in the studio with Shannon, who's the drummer from Godsmack and uh, Dave Fortman, who's the producer for uh, Evanescence and uh, Slipknot. And he played for Ugly Kid Joe. And they both go, like, yeah, I'm 55 years old. 
Corey like, because Shannon's covered in tattoos. He's like, oh, like his, he doesn't have any gray hairs. He's all like walks around like he's the. I'm like, you're 55. You're, you could be my goddamn grandfather, bro. And I don't know about that. You, you, could, you, could, you can't tell because these guys literally, the only thing that's that's kept them up is like the fact that their bass player was annoying last night. Like and you could see it on their face. And it's the same thing with you. I had to Google your age. And I'm like, Maybe there's I no way. Maybe I am your grandfather because I'm turning 65 next month. You never know. Holy shit. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm 40 this year, so that'd be strange math, but still, fair enough. Well, as strange as a 55-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> that said, what about what you're doing? And I understand, but for the lay people out there, the, the gen pop, as Siobhan aptly calls them, what keeps you young about yelling about guitars and things all day? Uh, like I said earlier, I'm lucky I like going to work. The environment here, uh, for, for those that didn't see this earlier, you know, this yeah, is, uh, I don't have enough cable here, but oh my you God. Know, I come to work to this. I mean, the decent office. It doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> is there one uh, we shouldn't look at? Uh, except for the guitar set, the t-shirt. Um, <laughs> it's not nice, but that's what sucks. Uh, anyway, you know, so there is that. And the fact that I'm in a business that changes almost every day that it's not stale. Mm -hmm. Even reissues to me are cool. That even though I knew the, the original piece, it, it things happen constantly, not as like it was in the 70s and 80s where every single day there was a new instrument, a new keyboard, a new drum. But the fact is, this is still vibrant. I get to talk to people that build guitars for a living, people that build amplifiers for a living. You know, I, I get to, you know, I get to call people like John Page, who started the Fender Custom Shop, a friend. And there's, there's a number of people like that out there that are cool and still in it, which keeps me wanting to be in it. it I wake up, wanting, you know, I wake up in my bedroom. There's a whole lot of guitars. I mean, a, a lot. And uh, <laughs> that's how I start my day. Is and I end my day the same way. Like when everything is done, I'm done with TV. I'll pick up a guitar and I'll play for a while. And I'll do usually an equal amount of acoustic and electric to make sure the chops are there. Uh, not that I have any, but to make sure that what I have is still working. <laughs> and then, you know, I come to work. And who do I work with? I work with guitar players and keyboard players and guys who so design sound systems and all of this kind of stuff. So, yes, that does keep me young. You know, I have a 97-year-old father that, except for his hearing, is 100% there. I get to talk to my dad. I'm 65. I get to talk to my dad about business. You know, all of these awesome. things. I have sons that are in the business that I we talk, you know, not so much the business as the product and the people. That's another thing. There's so many characters in this business that it keeps it all so fun. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I think as mu music in general, it's a, yeah, I think from all the, the three of us can agree. It's yeah. Every day yeah. is different. There's some new adventure to be found with different characters for sure. Yeah. Yeah, is there and, is 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 there a great white buffalo instrument that you've wanted all your life, like like a 1958 Gibson Modern that you like only heard of, like that you've seen walk in or that you've wanted to walk in and have not seen? Like what's the what's the instrument of your dreams that would just walk into your store? Vintage Gibson uh, Switchmaster. Oh, the three P90s cool. with the five way switch with the, the amp box. No, no. But this, well, I'm this saying, was, wasn't there one with the with a separate amp? The Switchmaster, there was one. Oh, yes, that I think they, yes, they did have one with a dedicated amp. That is correct. But for some reason, I was attracted to that guitar from a very early age, and I always thought it was one of the coolest looking jazz boxes. I have a couple jazz boxes, but they're they're nice instruments. But I always thought that that was the coolest. I thought that was up there with the D'Angelico New Yorker, you know, just something about it that I thought was majestic. I, I, I had a reissue for a while and I never connected with it. So one day, uh, 
if things go well, I'm going to go out and buy myself. Wow. That, that was that's my holy grail. It's funny you say that because the first instrument I, I ever remember thinking to myself I wanted to get when I looked at that old the old eighties Gibson book. You know what I'm talking about? The one was the Switchmaster yeah, because it came with the amp. I'm like, oh, it was so cool. They had a stereo output. You could run into separate amps. Like even in the fifties, you must have been an asshole showing up with the Switchmaster. Be like, oh no, run it to the to the right amp to the left amp. Yeah. Yeah, that like, was a rig. That was a rig. It was a know? fig. A guitar and two amplifiers was a rig. Yeah, it was. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, uh, man, I can't even imagine having one of those 55 switchmen. Well, all of this is fascinating to me because as a violinist, you generally have just one instrument. You've got like the instrument that you've been working towards your whole life. And then you've got like your backup outdoor, like when you're in the heat instrument. You have to talk about this. I have a question because you just got uh, uh, a 250-year-old violin almost bequeathed to you which I well think is like, i don't let's, let's, i don't listen. own it yet i'm trying it at the moment so well yeah so right now i'm trying oh that is very cool so we're seeing an electric violin right now on uh, on the video but um but yeah i've, I've been playing a an mid-1830s british instrument for most of my professional life and this um this italian violin it's a nicolo galliano that comes from the galliano family of like famous italian makers naples 1700s um, just kind of came to the shop that I have gone to my whole life. And they said, you have to try this violin. This violin is for you. Um, so I'm currently trying it out, you know, and taking it around to other professionals to see what they think. But, but it's just interesting, you know, to hear about people that have, you know, all these different types of guitars. And for me, it's like, where is the one violin, you know? So it's, it's a, a totally, I, of course there's the electric too. And that's a whole other can of worms, which maybe we can jump into. Well, if that's it's like milking tone on I always say tone is in your fingers, but really it's truly for sure, in your fingers for, vi yeah. for violin. So like the thing is you could say all these different instruments for guitar have different colors, but really for the violin, it's just straight tone. It's just pure tone. So if you find like the Strad or whatever, that's like the perfect one, there's no reason to have anything else. Whereas Sammy and I keep buying more guitars thinking that we're going to get better and we don't. You're never satisfied. No, never. <laughs> you know, a lot of that comes down to your taste too. So much of it is how you've developed, you know, your style of playing and what you like, what you're looking for. Um, are you going to be playing as a soloist with orchestra? Are you going to be playing with piano? Are you playing in a string quartet? Are you playing in orchestra? So you, you kind of have to think about in what context is this going to fulfill its destiny, right? So the value is, yeah, definitely there. And it, it takes some investigation, you know, talking to other violinists that are familiar it, with that. Does it blow the 1830s one out of the water? Is it like no contest? Yeah, of course. Well, not of course. That's a great sounding <laughs> violin for $35,000. But they're, they all have different strengths and weaknesses, you know, so it's different a lot tone, of it's up to the table. Different yeah. richness. This is this is something you might find interesting. It's very interesting. I want to know about it. It's oh. a Rickenbacker headless violin. Wow. What Redates the hell? Uh, Ned Steinberger by 35 years. Now, is it, oh, it wow. are there four strings on that? I can't it, quite well, see. There, there is. There should be. <laughs> there should be. Okay, because it looked like there was <laughs> they two. They got okay. loosened up. But gotcha. Yeah, okay. it's a four string headless violin. Wow. And so the, the tuning pegs are where the bridge kind of like normally is. Like a Steinberger is. on the bottom. Interesting. Has oh, so man. is this something that's like a, a product that you have, or is this like a, a prototype, or what? What's the story no, of this? It's, it's rare. It's not mm -hmm. a prototype. It's very rare to find mm -hmm. them. You know, Interesting. I, when I, before I I found this, I didn't even know Rickenbacker made a violin. Me neither. I've never heard of that. I just thought they were making laptops. I have laptops. Lap steels. <laughs> 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 So, yeah, that's the other thing. I like oddballs. I like oddities. Mm -hmm. Things that are extremely cool, not necessarily expensive. You know, something that might be rare, fun, have a, a, a unique look to it. Um, I, I like those things. Like I said, uh, lap steels, I now have one, two, three, four, five. I have now seven lap steels. I just got myself a frying pan. Rickenbacker frying pan. Oh, yeah. Those are the, those are the real deal. The first. Uh, hang on. I'm sorry going off camera. That's all that, right. That's <laughs> just for people excited. that want to know. The frying pan is a very, very early electrified instrument. One of the first. In fact. Yeah. So this is considered, why I don't know, but it's considered the first solid body guitar. It's not a guitar because you can't play it with the frets. But this is a 1931 Beauchamp Rickenbacker guitar and it's actually in awesome condition wow it's all wow. original finish uh, it sick. sounds i mean the pickup 
wow. I mean, this thing is snappy. It's uh, so cool. Snotty is the word I was looking for. It's got that really <laughs> sound to it. So things like this that it attract me to different instruments. I, I actually agree with you completely because so I played 59 and 60s bursts and stuff like that and I call them rich lawyer guitars because they sound awesome they're amazing but like I can't fathom spending that kind of money there's also but there's a lot of really rare and interesting car, guitars and that's for me what's more important is what's the story behind it you know like I love this guitar it's like the Gibson Futura because it's the ugly the ugliest guitar ever they call it the Pac-Man because originally it was supposed to have it does look down like here. Which I, by the way, I want to, yeah, I want to see the prototype of this that had the tuners waka, down waka, here. Waka, 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 and they waka. said that would be too ugly, so let's put this headstock on it. But the which thing is that's interesting about this guitar, uglier. yeah, is that it's milled from one piece of maple, which Gibson has never done with any guitar. It's just one piece of wood. Yeah, everything and else had the wings glued on. It's wild. So, like, for me, like, this is such a cool guitar because it's so ugly and gross and it offends people. So, I have to have it. And I feel like that's actually become a thing in the market now. It's like, oh, these guitars, people used to throw them away. And now it's like three grand. It's, it's what's amazing is all the instruments that we closed out because nobody wanted to, wanted them at the time, Sonex and, and things like that, worth a fortune. You know, because <laughs> because they were so bad, they made so few that they're worth so much. It's, it's interesting. It's a kind of crazy interesting economic uh, yeah. consideration. Yeah. So as we uh, as we wind down in our second oh. hour, which is just flying by, uh, yeah. I could listen to you talk about this stuff all day, man. Um, maybe we can just touch on, you know, you mentioned that world domination isn't, you know, in, in your plans. But what is what, what's the future look like for Sam Ash? What, what do you guys what do you guys keep in mind when you look down the road? Right now, it's a hunker down time. We, you know, the, we just came through the two most precarious years. The company, this was worse than going through the depression. I mean, wow. one day everything is fine. The next day I am sitting at home. I have over a thousand people on furlough. I've got 45 stores closing. I don't know when they're gonna open up. That was nuts. Um, so we, it, it, it took a little wind out of our sails. So right now we're doing things like we're managing our inventory better and we are looking at opportunities. We've been offered one or two music stores, didn't quite work out, but we would we grow? Yes, if the opportunity is right. We're positioned to do it, we can. But right now, like I said, a little bit skittish. You, you, I watch the news and they're saying, well, in China, the, the COVID's blowing up again over here. Oh. And, well, that affects us immediately. You know, so all of these things were taking a little bit of a wait and see. Seeing how, this is the first year in three that I have real inventory to sell to customers. Do they want it? I think they do. But I mean, last year you came into my, some of my stores. I was embarrassed. Now I'm feeling really good. We look really good. Uh, you know, the, the staff is getting paid again. I mean, that's a, that's a kind of a cool thing, you know, um, Definitely. but actually it, it, it straightened out a lot, a lot long time ago, but we are positioned that if an opportunity came about, we could do it. If a, if a dealer couldn't make it and it was a place we wanted to be, I mean, we, were the, we took over nine Mars stores, five Thoroughbreds. We took over Manny's. Um, you know, we, were the, we owned Manny's for its last 15 years. So there are various things that have happened to us which helped us grow. So, like I said, we're not interested in world domination unless the world falls in our lap. <laughs> that, what do you think the, the, the future, based on that, the future is, is changing for, for buying guitars? So, for example, a lot of stuff is going to the internet, and I couldn't have fathomed 20 years ago people buying $10,000 guitars without playing them. Oh, what does that look like for you guys? Wrong. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I didn't get it when it first started to happen. I'm old school. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. If it's an acoustic guitar, I'm going to shove my nose in it. Seriously. I want to smell it. I'm that guy. I'm but that all guy. all of a sudden, 
I, I think it's like 30% of all instruments at every price is bought sight unseen. Well, not sight unseen, but unplayed, mm-hmm. which to me is a very foreign concept, except we're doing the same thing. We're selling an awful lot of guitars on the internet where people just see them for the first time. Oh, I like the way that looks. I like the top on that. Click, it's mine. So that has been when it first started to happen and it started to grow. I'm saying I, I want to get involved in this thing a little bit better. And we were a little slow to the trigger. Our Guitars of Distinction program solved that greatly. You know, I, I, I get to play all the fun stuff. See, on the other side of my wall is where we keep them also. <laughs> That's awesome. On the other side of my wall is where I keep all of mine. So I, I understand. I'm going to go Great play a bunch of guitars alike, after ben. this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I have to say, first off, Sam Ash has been a company that I, I have loved all of my life. Like I Thank literally, you. It's ubiquitous. That. It's literally ubiquitous with, with guitars and music and I've always gotten the greatest customer service and now it explains because like you, I can call an ash. So I guess that makes sense. And I just want to say that I, I'm very happy that things are, are going well because in, in this world where, again, I same thing with musicians. We woke up one day and it was like, oh, I had all these gigs. And it's like, oh, there's no gigs and I have to stay home. And how am I supposed to make any money and do anything? And the fact that, you know, you're still around and you're still resilient after all this time, I'm so glad that you are because you've seen all these guys get trampled. And I can tell you personally, going through it, it was really, really hard to still be here. So I appreciate what you've gone through and I appreciate that everyone's getting paid and that you're still around and still growing. And that means a lot because, again, I don't know what I would do if you guys weren't around. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. (laughs) We're actually having a little bit of fun now planning on 100th anniversary instruments. We're working with uh, Gibson. We're, we're working with Paul Reed Smith. You know, limited edition anniversary guitars, uh, which are a lot of fun because they're different than anything else. We go, we pick out tops. We, you know, we make a deal out of it. So, you know, we're we're looking forward to that. Uh, I'm glad to be able to say I'm gonna, well, hopefully, live to see it. If I don't, I'll be very disappointed. Can I make a recommendation? <laughs> I Absolutely. think you should reissue that Norlin era custom with the pink that will sell so crazy i find all those colors i swear to god i saw a video a week ago it was the worst performance of poison at some mtv thing and cc deville is playing a custom light do you remember these the thin ones like the thin customs but it was that pink color with three pickups and i rewound the video 50 times and watched the worst poison performance just to watch this pink (laughs) pepto-bismol guitar and then the only one i I think i've seen is yours and i'm telling you right now i will put all my money on it if you release that as a limited edition people will buy the shit out of it there there are a few instruments that i'm thinking about uh my friend uh, i have uh, elliot easton is a good friend of mine and he's got some of the cool absolutely boston that's right left-handed dude he's a lefty uh, for everyone but he has some of the coolest colors of guitars that he's had from various custom shops. And some of those are just, would blow your mind. So we're we're thinking about maybe combining some efforts here. So, but yeah, um, this has been great. I can't- No, thank you, Sammy. I mean, it was so cool. It went like nothing. I know. Yeah, yeah flies by. Home. So that's why we got to we got to do uh, we got to do more episodes and get more stories. But yeah, right, I mean, I'll go to the bathroom. I'll be back in ten minutes. We'll get started again. We we really appreciate. It. In fact, this is seriously fantastic. And and I have to say, and I mean this for real. I I would love to come and, and see you in person and and interview you for this Les Paul documentary because there's not only being at that show, but the fact that you have Les looking over you every single day while you judging you while you make decisions tells me that him being the guiding beacon in your life, you're a guy I want to talk to. Well, uh, I'm going to say something that's sweet but sad. Um, We were, my sons and I were invited. We were at Les Paul's funeral, uh, at the funeral reception. Not, we were at the party also, which is kind of weird. But uh, we were, I was very touched to have been invited by Rusty Paul uh, to go to Les's Funeral. It was very cool, and uh, Slash was there. Tom, uh, was it Tom Hamilton? Some very, very cool guitar players who flew in specifically for this. It was about thirty-five people, and I felt extremely honored to be there. 
Well, the, the, yeah. the guy we're doing this documentary with, he's been on our show. He's the mayor of Mawa, New Jersey. And oh, okay. Jimmy, Jim Wysocki, he was Les Paul's best friend for 29 years, and he actually gave the eulogy at his funeral. So, I was there. Yeah, so you were there for that. So that's the guy that we're doing this with. He's the one who has all the cool stories, not, not me. He, and and if, you, if you do this, I will tell you that on behalf of Les, there's a lot of cool stuff that will make you excited, that we'll bring to you. That you, you will blow your mind because this guy for the last 29 years, and I encourage you to go back and watch the episodes we did with him because it's literally just like, a, oh my God, for two hours. Uh, he gave him everything from the first tape machine to, I, I have packs of strings that he used for every single show. I mean, literally written like, here's the forum, Les Paul, 1960. Well, yeah, I have pictures from, uh, from the auction in California when they auctioned off his stuff. Uh, I, I have history. I've got... Yeah, I, I, you know, as in case you hadn't noticed, I do kind of like to talk. So uh, we love that. That's great. You'll be, yeah. You guys should definitely do. do if that you want to do, if you want me to talk about Les Paul, I got a few words. <laughs> thank awesome. you very much for the invitation. Well, thank very you, cool. Sammy. It's, it's yeah. been awesome. Thank you. So yeah, Sam, Sam Ash Music Stores. Don't forget to check those out. Don't forget to check out the Facebook page, which is what Sammy's Guitar Gear and Guitar Stories. Yep. Uh, and we'll have a link to that in the description. I just want to say thank you all. This has been a real honor and treat for me. You have no idea that Likewise. being able to talk about my guitars and stuff. So thank you all. It's been really interesting. I do hope we can do more. We absolutely we, oh, will. Believe me, we, we're, we're not as cool as you, so we'll be calling you. Like, Sammy's <laughs> going to tell us more stories you don't know about me Les well Paul. enough to say that. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely cooler than all three of us, that's yeah, for sure. We know ourselves well enough. Tell my I, can call, I can call an Ash. I can always get through to one. <laughs> tell my Guys, wife. <laughs> check 2020-D.com, and we will see you next time. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 99, featuring Satchel of Steel Panther. Check it out. You know, I'll tell you, one of the, one of the proudest moments that I ever had as an entertainer was going on stage in a casino and playing a set that was 45 minutes and walking off the stage and realizing that we only played two songs. And in the course of 45 minutes and two songs, nobody left. And I thought, I thought that's that to me was success. Like we entertained this crowd. Nobody left. We played two fucking songs. So that meant for fucking 38 minutes, we fucking just bullshitted with people. And they were entertained enough not to throw anything at me or leave the fucking audience. So to me, that was cool. Like if you've got that tool, then do it. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.